Hey y'all, welcome to Shades of Brown, the podcast that discusses the ever-evolving and sometimes contradicting thoughts of a Black millennial. I'm your host, Allie B, and today I'll be joined with a former law enforcement officer, Dr. Lamanda Dansby, who is now a pastor, business owner, and psychology instructor at Purdue University Global. Ever since the Black Lives Matter movement began, we've heard all these counter movements such as all lives or blue lives matter, right? Um, So I want to talk about what it means to be both black and blue. So I have Dr. Lamanda here to discuss her journey through law enforcement. But before we get into the conversation, let's get into this rocking with Bob segment. Who is Bob? Bob stands for Black-Owned Businesses. And because we should all be buying Black, I'm going to be highlighting businesses every week so that you can go and patronize. This week's highlight goes to True Products. This company offers plant-based, safe, and effective personal care products. And I've been using their laundry detergent for, I don't know, maybe since 2017, 2018. I don't know. But I've been using them for years. And um, I love them. Switch out your Tide or your Gain for True, okay? Because it's black on and they'll get you together. They also have like fabric softeners and other stuff. And, and they got stuff for sensitive skin too. So yeah, uh, switch over so that you too can be rocking with Bob. All right, let's get into this conversation, y'all. Y'all know what we do. Let's unpack it. All right. Welcome to Shades of Brown, Dr. Lamanda Dansby. How you doing? I am great. I'm great. Awesome. Um, thank you so much um, for being here with me to have this conversation about, um, about your journey as a Black police officer. I, I can only imagine um, what is going on right now and the lifestyle of a of a black cop because clearly black officers are living on both sides of the coin when it comes to all things police brutality social justice you know and i can just imagine you know how frustrating it could be in times like these to be um, a black officer so um i do know that you are not currently a police officer but you were a police officer in the state of alabama for three and a half years is that correct that's correct Awesome. Cool. So like walk us through um, that, that journey. What, firstly, what led you to become a police officer? And um, just overall, um, what was your um, experience? Like, did you, was that something that you just wanted to do all your life or what? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, no, it wasn't something I wanted to do. It was something that was suggested to me. Um, I was working in administration in higher ed and I thought I found my calling you know, because I've waited and prayed two years for my career type of job after I graduated uh, undergrad. And I felt like the Lord finally answered my prayers. I was working at Alabama State University um, in administration and the research and biomedical research and training program. And I was like, yes, this is it. And um, I thank God every day for my job. I mean, everything took place in my office, prayer, praise, prophecy, you named it because God did this for me, right? And then what happened was I was laid off and I felt like, God, how could you? How could mm-hmm. you? And um, nevertheless, I really think I didn't know it. I, I, well, I knew what was going on, but I really went through a, a season of depression because I, I just felt 
deep down inside, like, God, how could you? And I gave you praise for this. Like, I ain't do the regular testimony service. I did like a whole PowerPoint presentation for my testimony and emailed it to my friends. Like, look what the Lord has done. And I put a soundtrack on Remember that song, My New Direction? The sun is going to shine if I hold out. Yeah, like, That was the music. PowerPoint. Giving God praise. Then I get laid off. Okay. Wow. Um, nevertheless, this had to be. Wait, 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 wait. Let, can we just pause on that? You took it. You took testimony service new school. You said, you know what? I'm not getting a microphone in church. I'm going to have virtual testimony service. Okay. Yeah. Years ago, right? <laughs> and the soundtrack with new direction. <laughs> Yo, that is so churchy. Oh my God. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, continue. (laughs) (laughs) So I did all of that. And um, like I said, I got got laid off. And how I got laid off, my my job was grant funded. And basically the grant ended. So it left me, you know, working on soft money. And so that happened. And I had a friend who I went to church with. She worked for the mayor um, at the time in Montgomery. And she suggested to me to think about the police department. And I was like, hmm. So I looked at what they made, and at the time they was making like twenty six, twenty seven thousand. I was like, "Oh no, oh no, that's not enough to risk my life." <laughs> so, um, no. So what I did, you know, I, I went back for my master's, and so I was in school working on my master's, and I was like, "I'm, I'm going to figure this out." I'm thinking about moving and all of this, and I'm on unemployment, and you know, at the time un- unemployment was about to run was about to run out, and they wouldn't extend it back then. And so some kind of way God provided for me um, all that time. I was never in jeopardy of nothing being repossessed. And the Lord just really made a way out of no way. So I tell people, you know, people look at you now, they look at what you got. It wasn't no silver spoon. No, I tithe off unemployment checks. I've tithed off financial aid checks. You follow wow, what I'm saying? So, wow, you know, wow. <laughs> you know I, I did all that. Um, but it came that time where I had to bust a move. And so I was just down and um, I was in my friend's office in which I told you she worked for the mayor and I'm talking to her. And um, the mayor had just increased a pay raise to actually recruit higher um, caliber people to come into it. So he at least did a $10,000 rate. And so people started signing up, but I still wasn't interested. Um, I'm sitting in my friend's office and this is how it happened. The chief of police walks through the door. And she looked at him and she looked at me. She said, go ahead and get her NPD. She's already in shape. And I was like, yo, what are you doing? <laughs> and the chief looked at me. He said, well, uh, young lady, he said, let me get your number and I'll give it to them. And someone will call you. And I was like, uh, okay. And I gave my number, thinking nothing of it because it wasn't none of my dream. And they called me and they thought, and they said, uh, well, what are you thinking about doing? And I said, well, I'm probably want to take the test, maybe be a parole officer. Um, but I was going to have to wait three months to even take that test. And he said, well, well, everybody goes through the same academy. We can have you working next week. Hmm. So I said, a job now or a job later? And I don't know <laughs> when later. Yeah. So I said, okay, you're going to take a job now. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> when I was going through the academy, you know, of course, you got to line up and be like, why did you want to be a police officer? And I'm listening to my classmates, as you call them. And they was like, you have to start with sir and end with sir. And so they was like, sir, I always wanted to be a police officer, sir, ever since I was a little girl, sir. And other people was like, sir, da 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 And so they got to me and it was like, um, my maiden name's Thomas. And they was like, Thomas, why did you want to be a police officer? And I was like, sir, I needed a job, sir. 
Like it wasn't my dream. You follow me? Um, so. The funny that thing that is, for me. the funny thing is, I can visualize that because I know you personally, and you're just so unbothered. Like, sir, I needed a job, sir. <laughs> I love it. So you're a police officer now. You find yourself in this position where this wasn't a dream, but you know, hey, you need a job. And it kind of sounds like it just fell in your lap. You know, your friend is like, hey, I hook you up with the police chief and boom, you're now a police officer. Now that you're in the force as a black woman, how how was your treatment um, as a police officer different than your male counterparts or even your black male counterparts well let's well let's go back let's start like at the academy because i was already my background i had a degree well keep in mind the minimum qualifications for a police officer is to have a ged or high school diploma and be 19 and a half years old wait 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 the minimum requirements to be a police officer is to be ni- to be 18, not, wait, 19? 19 and a half. Okay, so not even 20 years old and just have a GED and that you can be a police officer in this country. So well, that's going to be the minimum requirement yeah, to be able to go through the academy. I think in order for you to hit the streets, I think you have to be 20, 20 and a half. So you can just kind of wait until it's time for you to hit the streets and just kind of work inside the department. But yeah, so those were the minimum requirements. Have a GED, high school diploma, be 19 and a half, and be able to pass the A-POST requirements, which which that stands for Alabama Peace Officer Certification Training. So anyway, that's the minimum requirement. So I found myself with a group of people who, at this point, I'm working on a master's. My degree is in psychology. You follow me? I come from higher ed where I was working on grants. I'm in administration. So this was a big change of pace, change of caliber of people that I'm dealing with now. Um, So I thought very differently than the average person. I looked at things completely different. A lot of people I was looking at that I'm alongside with saying, "Woo, they only let them make it through because I could just pick up stuff. And then keep in mind, of course, my my spiritual discernment is all in there. So it was interesting. I had a lot going on within me. Um, so I found, to be frank with you, I found myself having to dumb down some stuff in order just, because all I wanted was, was gainful employment. That's all yeah. I wanted at that yeah. time. I wanted to be able to take care of myself. Um, so I found myself having to dumb down, um, some things. So keep in mind the, the psychology of, of an academy, because I knew the psychology of it. A lot of it got on my nerves. Um, and so you know, them trying to make you feel like you were less than them. Um, I'm like, no, I was somebody before this. That yeah. just doesn't make me anybody. I put that on, take it off. If you take it off, who are you? These are my thought processes of, you know, um, yeah. people saying things to me in the academy. I'm down doing push-ups and they're coming over me. Yeah, I really want that defending my family. I'm like, man, if you don't go on somewhere. Um, <laughs> wow. I can remember being called in the meeting with, it was a black lady. It was a black lady. Now I actually thought we would connect, but I think she lost herself in the culture. She was the only black lady as an instructor in the academy. And of course I'm like, yay, that's good sister. But she lost herself in the culture. She tried to be hard just like them. And I felt like she could have took more of a supportive role 
And so I got a rep in the academy where I had a, she has an attitude. No, I didn't have an attitude. I just got tired of y'all foolishness. And so yeah. I can remember um, I, I had pulled something in my leg and um, I went through what was called the early hire uh, program where they can employ you up to 90 days before you went through the academy. And they would, you would work, you got paid and we would have to PT for two hours every day. So it got me in shape for the academy. And I pulled something um, probably about three to four weeks before the academy. And then the academy, you can't miss no more than 72 hours or you're kicked out. You got to do it all over again. So I wanted to get that taken care of um, because keep in mind, this is all I got. So I went in there and I said, sir, I need to um, take off and I I need to go to the hospital and uh, just lay off, lay off of it for a while. I think of the hill on his own. And so he just lit all into me. So are you telling me you want to quit? I was like, sir, no, sir. Um, I just need some time off. Well, do you have a doctor's excuse? Um, I can get one if you <laughs> need me to. And um, he said something else. And before I knew what I did, I popped up and I was like, what did I say to him? I was like, sir, I'm not playing games, sir. If I need to go to the hospital, that's what I'll do. And he didn't like, you know, when I said that. But it was getting on my nerve how he was interrogating me. Because I'm yeah. like, I'm not lying. I don't make stuff like this up. Yeah. So, of course, he spread the little word, like, oh, she got attitude. So when I went to my council meeting, um, the black female, she was like, well, Miss Thomas, um, word is, you have an attitude. Wow. I and I said, well, um, and I was guaranteed. Now, that same black male, um, he was real big. And um, he guaranteed me in front of everyone. He said, two o'clock. You won't make it past two o'clock. I'm like, get out of my face. Wow. So anyway, um, I go and meet with her. She said, where did you got attitude? And my question to her was, I said, well, ma'am, that's subjective. I said, everyone has an attitude. I said, the question is, is it good or bad? <laughs> you want to know what her next question was to me? What? Her next question was, um, Miss Thomas, where did you graduate from? And I was like, Ohio Valley University. Um, okay. All right. Um, I think you're going to be okay. You see how I shut all that down? Yeah. I guess, I guess yeah. she thought I was going to be like, ma'am, no, I don't tell me what I got to do. I'm like, no, yeah. if, you, if you're making accusations saying I have an attitude, let me know is it good or bad? Because the attitude, everyone that's living has one. So yeah. let's, let's talk a little intelligently. I, I, I don't work well with that yeah. intimidation part. Yeah. Um, so, um, nevertheless, you get through that. Um, you asked about the treatment as, as a, as a woman, um, as a woman, um, you're very restrictive. The, the creativity isn't there. Um, you have to wear your hair back in a ponytail, no earrings, no makeup, um, all of that. But I got through it for six months well, 18 weeks to be exact. And, um, day one, um, the manual said we can wear studs in our ear. So, Hey, I ain't wore earrings for six months, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I get me some studs. I come in there and uh, my hair was just pent up a little bit, just off my collar. And the first thing I have a male lieutenant who comes in and he just looks at me and tells me he didn't like my hair. Mm. Now, will he tell the males that? No. So he calls me in the office. He looks me up and down with another male that was brand new with me and another black female. He looks us up and down, the females. And he was like, hmm, I need to take them earrings out your ear. I'm like, what is the mm. policy say? Um, now, does the black male defend me? No, but I'm gonna get to that part too, because um, that's that's a culture issue. Um, so <clears throat> I left, 
And, you know, he put out the word he wanted me to change my hair. And I'm like, no, that's not what the policy says. My hair is not no more than two inches high. And my it was a black blue sergeant who begged me with folded like this and was like, please just change it. And I was like, are you going to go tell him that I'm not violating my policy? Show me the policy first, because there was none. And I'm like, I can't be subjected to what he likes. No, I'm not. I'm not married. I wouldn't marry no one like that. <laughs> Number two, yeah. like, no, this is the workplace. That's why yeah. there's policy and procedures. But the black males begged me to cater to this short Italian lieutenant. They mm. would not stand up to him. And I actually had two other male, black male officers who literally begged me like this. and was like, please just do it. Just do it. And, you know, I wasn't. I thought about it and I did it halfway through my shift because we happened to be close by my house mm-hmm. and I went home on my break and I put my hair back in a ponytail. Um, if I can go back and change things, I would have never did that. Um, yeah. I probably would have challenged it and documented it and filed um, <laughs> sued if I needed to or EEOC complaint. Yeah. Um, but that's the type of stuff that we have to deal with. I was on the shift for two weeks and then um I was out. I was off. Um, he would see me around and he would just kind of look up at me and be like, huh, you don't have poofy hair no more. And I had to not even address it. I would just keep moving because yeah. I didn't want to say the wrong thing and be labeled as whatever they wanted to label me as. And that is so common for us as Black women in the workspace period. We're constantly faced with situations where we're internally saying, OK, do I fight this battle or not? Do I let this one go or not? Do I stand up for myself or not? Because more often than not, even our black male counterparts don't defend us in those moments. We're just left to defend for ourselves where you would think there would be there be support in some level. Right. Especially when you're talking about things regarding policy and procedure and you know you're within code, you know, you're doing your job right. You know, you're within regulations like really. Really, it's going to always be opposition like this. I'm going to always have to, have to fight these things. So that speaks to a greater issue that we as black women face in the workplace. And it's, it's frustrating, to say the least. As a woman, you, you have to stand up for yourself. You have to be um, on, on top of your, your game um, because you're in a male-dominated profession. And some of them, they really don't respect women, but they're trained to respect the position. Um, Anyway, um, so they may respect you, the, the title, but not you um, in general as a as a woman, whereas the males, they could be just just tough about the business. But if you do it, you're labeled as a B and, and, and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you have to stand up for yourself. I recall one, one other time where I had to stand up for myself because um, I tried to do what was what was right and what was required of me within limits. But keep in mind, I didn't join the, the force since I was 25 years old. So I had the mindset, I'm a citizen first. Then I became a police officer. Like, I didn't feel like I was born (laughs) born to do it. But I I knew it was a stepping stone. And what even kept me going through it, I actually thought about quitting in the academy. I was just like, "Ah, I don't think this is me. Like, no, I don't fit in. And I was at Subway getting a sandwich. And um, the man recognized the type of uniform I had on. He knew I was going through the academy as a black guy. He looked at me. He says, hey, young lady, you're going through the academy. And I said, uh, yeah, I am. And he just looks at me. It had to be God because he looked at me. He says, don't quit. Whatever you do, don't quit. 
And I mm-hmm. just looked at him like, man, let me get my sandwich. And he <laughs> said, um, he looked at me and he says, God needs light in dark places. Mm. And I really took that as that was the Lord speaking to me. And so mm-hmm. that stayed in the forefront of my mind when things got hard to try to be a light um, in a dark place. So um, I was pressured one time because my stats were going down, um, as you call it. Um, stats can be stats or whatever you bring in that night. Now, you do have to show activity for what you've been doing all night. You can't just go park a car and go to sleep and then stay to get paid. You can't. And so um, we were told initially, um, you got to bring in 10 documented pieces of paperwork. Now, that's not a folder. That is you showing activity. What did you do all night? We worked 10 hour shifts, 410. And so um, I strove to do that. But all of a sudden, um, you know, it's a big ego trip out there because it's a male dominated environment. So it's a lot of ego. And so, you know, one month, our side of town, you know, you're divided up by different parts of town, north, south, east, west. So our particular side of town got a lot of felony arrests. And so the, the captain started making competitions amongst himself. Like, look, my group's working hard on yours. We got 70 felony arrests. And so then the ego, we want to stay on top and all this. And I'm like, I didn't feel good about it, but I just did my job. Um, but anyway, um, so then, and it was just like, Give me more, give me more. And I'm like, yo, I can't make up anything. I just do my job. If it's there, it's there. I don't make up nothing. Because <clears throat> that's just not how I chose to operate. So I guess my arrest went down one month. But even if I didn't arrest, you, I could go out and search a building and clear a building and just say, hey, this building was secure and leave a note. And that was documentation, you know, yeah. for, for what I did that night. And um, you left a carbon copy, one with them, and you brought it in to show. So anyway, um, he kept sending people to me. He sent this, um, he wasn't white, but he sent another male officer to me who I knew he was a corporal. So he was right ahead of me. He was lazy. His work ethic was lazy. How did I know? Because I wrote with him. <laughs> so he sends me, he sends that guy. Uh, I never put a zero on the back of my sheet. We had a sheet and you put your stats on the back of it. And I literally watched him one night put a fat zero. I never did that. Wow. And so he sends him to come tell me to pick my stats up. And I had to politely let him know, basically. I said, man, I saw you put a zero on your sheet the other night, and I've never done that. So that was my nice way for saying, how are you going to check me about yeah. uh, my work activity when you did nothing all night? And no yeah. one's saying anything to you. You're being sent to recommend me. That doesn't work. Yeah. But when I called him out on it, he just got quiet and he left. He probably went back and told the lieutenant. He would send me, he paired me up with another, it was a black male officer. He's like, LT wanted me to kind of show you some things, pick up your stats. Okay. I can't create something that's not there. I, I can't, yeah. I don't make up a rest. I, what do you want me to do? And so, <clears throat> you know, stats being down, what, keep in mind how I went in as an analytical thinker anyway. Stats being down can be a good thing. Right. So if we got 70 felony arrests the month before, Maybe everybody's still locked up and they're not out causing problems. Hello. So stuff is supposed to go down. Or so maybe. That or, ego. Yeah. Or maybe Good. crime is down in general. Like, isn't that the goal for 
crime overall to be lowered. And that's why it it, it frustrates us as citizens, um, as civilians. It's like, it seems like there is a bigger agenda. And what you're speaking to is just on a lower, like a, a ego level, right? Like a couple of men making competitions. But even that, it seems like it plays to our disadvantage, especially in communities of color, when you've got a couple of dudes in the office saying, hey, let's see who, who can get the most arrest this month. Like that is it. Like, really? You looking for trouble, right? But it seems as if they're looking for this in particular spaces, which is why we, people of color, Black folks, tend to be the ones um, getting the short and the stick. Like, come on, man. Like, don't, like, if you got 70 last month, shouldn't it be lower this month? Like, that is just, it's just insane to me that you, as someone who's doing your job, would be reprimanded or somehow looked at as if you're not doing enough because you're not getting the numbers they want you to get, but yet you're still getting your numbers. Like, that is crazy. I, I was still getting my numbers. And so finally, I didn't like the kind of going through sending people. I'm like, why the lieutenant just doesn't talk to me? So finally that happened because I guess I didn't feel the pressure to go out and do all this. I just kept doing what I was doing, you know, because I knew I was doing my job. So finally I'm called in with the lieutenant. He was a white man. And so I have a black sergeant um, who was directly over me. And so the lieutenant, he laid out my stats and he said, Officer Thomas, your, your stats are down. Uh, your rest are down. Well, this is up and this is down. And he laid it all out. And I sat there calmly and I listened. Now I let him finish. While my black sergeant was standing with his arms folded, I don't know what that meant, but I was just listening. And I let him finish and I said, um, well, um, LT, I remember in roll call, you told us as long as we brought in 10 pieces, 10 pieces of documented paperwork every night, no one will say anything to us. And he looked at me, he said, um, as a matter of fact, uh, I looked at all of that. I looked at all of that. And uh, as a matter of fact, you averaged 13. So I said, okay, I averaged 13. You expected 10. Did I exceed your standards? <laughs> I said, uh, is this meeting adjourned? That was my polite and educated way for saying, what is this meeting really about? And why am I in here if exactly. I exceeded your standards? You required 10 and you've been researching me enough to know I averaged 13. What is this meeting really about? Oh, I'm getting started up because when people, when, when you hear that phrase, um, we have to do twice as much to be half as good. This is the kind of stuff we're talking about when Lamanda is literally saying he saw where she, where she exceeded his expectation. Yet she's called in as if she's not doing enough. This is the experience we have in the workspace. Like this is a white male officer bringing in zero. You see that? That is insane. It's like, it's right in your face. This type of stuff is right in your face, yet somehow we are exaggerating or being dramatic when we describe our experiences. It's like, no, this is real life. This is real life where here I am exceeding expectations, yet I'm seen as blessed. Uh, now, the black male sergeant, after the meeting, this is what he said to me. Miss Thomas, you handled yourself well. I don't think I responded back to him because I really didn't have words because you wasn't going to defend me. So I had to defend myself. Yeah, I handled myself. I handled myself well because I had to handle myself because I couldn't trust nobody else to 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 do it. So let's go back to when you were talking about you were in Subway and this random black man sees you in police academy uniform and tells you don't quit no matter what. Um, and dark spaces need light. 
let's talk about that because I agree, you know, um, dark spaces need light. And as Christians, that is our job, right? To be the light of the world, to be the salt of the earth. We have to go in dark spaces and be light so that God be glorified. Where is the fine line though? Because it seems that particularly when it comes to the police force, that even when quote unquote good people go in and we have the quote unquote good cops, it seems as more likely than not, they end up conforming and end up assimilating and being um, influenced by the culture instead of being the influencers of that culture. Can you speak to um, where you draw the line in regards to going into these spaces and trying to be a light, but you can only do so much when the culture is so ingrained and deeply embedded because the police, we, we this thing goes way back to slavery and how um, we had slave patrols, right? And, and of course, the police force has evolved over time, but we see how um, the objective, it seems to not have changed, but more so evolved. So how do we as, or, or how do y'all as the good cops go in and change things? Because it seems like the good cop is real quiet out here in these streets. <laughs> Well, it's hard to change culture at the bottom. So mm-hmm. while I was actively on the streets, I was the person at the bottom of the totem pole, so to speak. And so, um, but my mentality is doing things with a spirit of excellence. So I had to focus on being excellent where I was at. Um, as you know, you're trying to be that good cop. Um, one thing I noticed is that when you check small things, well, First of all, you need to speak up where you need to speak up. Okay. So if you see someone doing something, let them know I'm not okay with that. And once you address it like that on a small scale, um, trust me, they don't do other stuff around you because you just made them uncomfortable. And so it could be a little bit of that. Um, um, because I give you an example. I remember hearing um there was a white male officer and his buddies, it was outside of headquarters talking. I overheard a conversation. I overheard them talking and he was telling everyone about how many tickets he wrote that night. And for me, that wasn't a competition. If I wrote them, I wrote, you know. So he was telling, he said, I gave one lady four tickets for no child restraint. And they was laughing. And I walked past, I overheard the conversation, and I did butt in. And I said, hey, you don't think one could have proved the point? And he just got quiet. You know, they didn't want it. So he didn't want to fool with me anymore because I thought, like, come on, man, who has money for four and five tickets? Is to pay within 30 days. I, I don't, and I know you don't, first of all. So <laughs> my thing was one ticket would approve the point to say, ma'am, put these children in child restraint. And if you got a heart for people, you don't know if the children pulled them off or whatever. I don't know, but if you tried to prove a point, one ticket would have said to her, make sure they're restrained. Um, so I didn't, I didn't see what was funny. So with that being said, do you think he would do something else stupid around me when I checked him on a little conversation? You know, mm, um, yeah, so yeah. Let's, let's talk about that, that culture. Um, because remember, I told you about the female officer in the academy who I felt like got ingrained in the culture. You know, I felt like she had to be hard and over domineering. But I could tell that really wasn't her who she was deep down inside. But she felt the need to conform. Um, yeah. It happened. I, I will give you another personal example. I was when I was on training because, you know, the culture is to break you down, build you up in the academy. 
but they try to spill that over with the rank and stuff. Once you get in there, they still wanted to treat you like trash because you was on training. But I'm like, no, no, no. I got the same uniform you got on. I got the same badge. And if you get into a fight, you expect me to help you. So you're going to treat me like, like, you know, I'm somebody. And so (laughs) anyway, um, I can remember it ain't like the training is slow paced. It's fast. So I'm trying to learn how to do a report. We're going from call to call. I'm trying to finish the report. Come on, we gotta go. We gotta go. We gotta go. We gotta go. So I'm just everywhere. And my training officer was a black male. And he um we got back to headquarters and I was finishing up all my reports and I had to hurry up and get them done. And I didn't get a lady to sign. And so I told him, I said, I forgot to have her to sign. Because he snatched me up to go to another call. Um <laughs> so he looked at me and immediately he 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 started coming down to me. You, you, you forgot. You see, now we're gonna have to go all the way back out there. Blah, blah, blah. And he started going off and Brittany with all the frustration, it came out. And I, I let him have it and I said, I went off. And I did <laughs> tell him, I said, what you're not gonna do is yell at me. And what you're not gonna do, I said, it's not like you properly trained me. You had me ripping and running there. So yeah, I made a little mistake. Who doesn't? I'm on training and you're supposed to be training me. So who is this reflection of? And um he got quiet. <laughs> And he apologized and he admitted and said, he said, I'm so sorry. I, that's how they do. I, I'm sorry. And he apologized. And fast forward, we became the best of buddies. Come to find out he was an assistant pastor at a church there. You follow me? <laughs> um, and when, when it got, we was working third shift together. So when it got slow, we would uh, read our Sunday school books together and, and stuff like that. But so my point for telling you that was, if this man um, was a Holy Ghost filled man, because he's an assistant pastor at a, at a Kojic church. And, <laughs> yeah, I said it. And he's acting like that towards me. He let that culture get in him. You follow me? Yeah. With his Holy Ghost filled self. Now, like I said, we, we got past that. And if I was to go back down there, I would look for him and say, hey, man, how you doing? And he's, he's a good person on the force. But if I wouldn't have checked him, then he acknowledged and said, you know, that wasn't right. I'm sorry. But so you see how easy it is, though, for that culture to get involved in you and make you act unbecoming of who you normally would be. So you have to find balance. Um, You have to stay true to yourself. Check what you don't agree with and don't go along with things that your conscience tells you like that isn't right. And always think of yourself as a citizen. Think of your mom. Think of of, of, of your dad and how you would want to treat someone. Yeah. Yeah. I we've seen, you know, with all with all that's going on currently, we've seen so many headlines. And of course, you know, we see the nice, you know, stories of where you find these police officers kneeling and protesting with the protesters. And you see people like um, Officer Tommy in Arkansas, who's doing the work and really protecting and serving the communities. We know there are good cops. Nobody's saying that all cops are bad. Right. But what we see more than more often than not is cases like what happened in Buffalo when that white man goes up to an officer, he was a protester, goes up to an officer and the officer pushes him down. And you've got dozens and dozens of officers behind him watching this happen. And not one of them helped this old man up while he was on the freaking concrete. His skull was cracked. He was bleeding. And I am sure that several of those cops in that group 
who are good cops. But why didn't one of them do something, right? So what we keep on seeing is how, all right, you got a couple of bad cops who, you know, murder black people, right? Well, why don't the good ones stand up and stand alongside citizens saying, hey, this is wrong. And I think it would be easier to embrace the idea that cops are for us if in times of injustice, they would be just as loud against that injustice. You get what I'm saying? Right. But but they struggle with, once again, being a part of the culture. And I roll with some good people. Like I said, some good people who loved God um, genuinely. And it's not that they agreed. They had rank over me, but they, they didn't agree with everything they, they saw. But it's like, man, let me just, you know, they, they're not going to do nothing stupid. But it's, it's, you, there's not the freedom to really stand up and challenge things. Um, but I would say, you know, to that person that wants to go into it for the right reason, take your test. You, that person needs to be promoted to help influence the culture because you can't influence it in the bottom. So we, we need the good ones who have a heart to serve people, um, to move up in the ranks, to be in a position to be able to change the culture of the organization, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because if they just like, I got a good, I'm, I'm good where I'm at and they stay here and I'm just good doing what I do, um, they still not going to influence the culture. So for me, the most stressful part of my day was the first 15 minutes of role call and then the last 15 minutes. I was actually okay out on the street. You know, mm-hmm. I interacted with my, um, with my, I did more community policing. I interacted with the people in the street. You know, we talked about the guy, I think it's Tommy, Officer Tommy, mm-hmm. who plays basketball with the kids. Hell, I was doing that way before Tommy. I just mm-hmm. wasn't recording myself. It wasn't enough <laughs> for me to jump out my patrol car and shoot hoops with the kids, try to recruit to go to my basketball camp, um, passing out raisins to the children in the housing <laughs> project because I don't want to give them Amanda, why are you passing out raisins? Because <laughs> a lot of the other ones, they would pass out candy. I'm like, you rotting these children's teeth out. So I took raisins. And, um, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> raisins and they had like, eh, you ain't got candy like the other house. I said, no, nah, because your teeth right now. I'm going to give you some raisins. Y'all, this is what y'all need. <laughs> I gave him raisins and one of them he walked off. But then a couple of them took him and he gonna come right back. I said, nah, I thought you ain't want none. Nah, I want them now, you know. So I would just play with the kids. Um, that is so like, hilarious. That sounds like grandma would do. You need some raisins, baby. <laughs> I love that's that. That's what, you know, I wanted to do. And I wanted them to, I wanted to be personable um, to them to let them say, man, you know, you could do anything. I knew I wouldn't be there forever. I knew that. I actually, I stopped my master's program to get through the academy. Once I finished, I went back, completed my master's. Um, and then I started teaching at a university while I was on the streets. So my mm-hmm. schedule was crazy. I would work from 2 p.m. to 1 a.m. So I'd probably get home by 2 o'clock. Then I would wake up, teach a class at 9, 9 a.m. in the morning, teach a 10 o'clock class, come home, get an hour nap, and go hit the streets all over again at 2 um, in the afternoon. Wow. Um, but I, I mean, I was motivated. That was, that was my lifestyle. Um, but I, to be frank with you, I felt like I lived a double life, <laughs> so to speak. Um, I was on cops, you know, NPD had a cops thing. So the cameraman used to ride with me. I never wanted my students to see me as an officer though, because I knew the tenseness and how people viewed the police and all that. But I knew I was working towards another goal. And so, you know, I never wore my uniform to class, never did that. And so um, 
I was on cops. And, and nevertheless, and um, I came into my class one day, and it was all quiet. And you know, it was quiet, and um, I kind of had a feeling because my class it was it was jumping, it was real interactive. Yeah. It was just quiet on me. And I looked outside, hey, what, what y'all so quiet for? And I mean, they like looking at me over <laughs> their eyes and whispering. <laughs> and um, one of them had the courage to yell it out to him and say, hey, that was you on cop. <laughs> so um, I looked up and I said, um, yeah, that was me. And one of them, he said, man, I feel betrayed. <laughs> he, said, he said, man, who are you? So I really had to give him an explanation. And I said, listen, I said, yes, yes. That, that was me. I said, guys, I never wanted y'all to see me as the officer first. Y- y'all know me as your teacher. Yeah. And I said, that's what I wanted to present to you all. You know, I'm your instructor. If you need anything, feel free to contact me. And a lot of them students, when they got into some trouble and stuff, guess who they was contacting? Yeah. Follow me. Yeah. And they was wanting to know how to handle certain things. Um, so I I wanted them to know that if someone good out there that if I needed to connect with, I could. Yeah. Um, but that was a very interesting moment uh, for me uh, in class. Yeah, and they thought they was confronting me on something. <laughs> but it speaks to our reality, right? It speaks to um, the deep-rooted mistrust there is between police officers and the Black community. Um, because there, there's never been a general trust, right? Like I, like I personally can speak to my interactions with cops, right? Like my, my brother, God rest his soul, was a cop. One of my best friends from high school was a cop, you know, like, uh, the, the school resource officer at Northview High School, right? Like I love him as a cop. Uh, the school resource officer at my middle school, right? You, I know personally. So my personal experiences with cops are great, honestly. But when we look at the big picture, there is not trust um, between the police force and the black community. And it goes back to the deep history, the deep, dark history of um, officers being for white people and against us, protecting the white community from us is what it's felt like, right? So you, uh, in so many words, hiding your police identity speaks to how you already knew they were trying to hear that. <laughs> like they wasn't trying to see you as Officer Thomas at that time. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it is unfortunate. It's unfortunate because sometimes I feel like, well, maybe we need more black officers, right, to make it better. But then a part of me feels like let's just throw it all away and figure out something else that works for the community. So speak to what you think is needed right now? Like, what are your thoughts on defunding the police? Do we need a whole new system or do you have hope in the system that we have? It just needs reforming. What are your thoughts on that? Um, Defunding, all that really means is allocating funds to other resources. It needs to be restructured. Um, It needs to be restructured. You can't, you can't disband the complete uh, police department. A component of it is always going to be needed for law and order. But you do have officers, some of the, I've listened to some of the interaction regarding that, but you have officers going to mental health calls. I went to plenty of them, you know, and I just would make light of it. But keep in mind, I had the background in psychology, whereas others don't. I was, I was different. My background was, was, was different. I was a little bit more patient, um, with people. Um, I wasn't out to take lives and, things of that nature. Um, so did I hear things that made me, my ears perk up like, yo, I can remember 
I've sat there. The, the stress of the job is, is 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 great. So a lot of stuff needs to change. The culture of it needs to change. If you would raise the standards, you're going to get a different caliber of people that come in it. So maybe take those requirements up to at least having a, a bachelor's or military experience and all this. Then you won't find your average Joe Blow that's trying to apply and have a little authority over people. I'm being supervised by people who their only other job literally was at McDonald's. And they got a GED. Now they're over me and I'm writing reports grammatically correct. And because they have an ego trip and power, they tell me, oh, you need to put a comma right there. And I have to swallow my pride because I almost said, no, that's a comma splice. Why would I put a comma there? You follow me? <laughs> um, but I had to swallow my pride and put the little comma there, even though it was eating me up inside to turn my report in with a comma splice. But I was told to do it. So it was a lot of humbling uh, involved. But the culture of the police force needs to change. Um, we don't treat each other good. And a lot of that stuff you see, like when I, if an officer dies in line of duty and you see officers coming near and far, if that person was living, it wouldn't be that. We, we don't treat each other with respect. People at the rank and all that go to their head. So with that being said, if that's your culture and then if you don't have enough in you to take that off when you hit the streets, what do you think is going to spill over? Yeah. You know, so that whole culture needs to, to change. Yeah. So a lot of restructuring and training, um, culture sensitivity training. Um, this a lot needs to be required on an ongoing basis. And I think the requirements just need to be raised to get a better um, caliber of applicants going forward. Yeah, I would love to see a complete destruction and then restructure of what we call law enforcement, because what we have. Um, I won't even say it doesn't work because I think the system works exactly how it was intended to. It was built against us and it works against us. Right. So it does work. Um, it just does not work for us as black people. So I would love to see a complete um, destruction of what we see today and a rebuilding of it. Right. So when you talk about the mental health cause. Right. Like why are police officers being called? For mental health cases, why are police officers being called for all these petty cases? Like, let them go deal with real crime or real or real situa- situations where law enforcement is actually needed. Because what what I have found through my you know limited research, because uh, you know you can for sure tell me differently if so. But what I found is that a lot of times the presence of cops escalates things. Just the very presence of law enforcement can sometimes escalate things because it's just like, why is all this even necessary? Like, fam, I'm one person. Why do you need three cops, right, for one citizen? Like, the very presence of it is intimidating and puts the person, the citizen, the civilian on defense, right? So, like, that structure, in my opinion, just does not accomplish what we feel should be accomplished in those situations. So I would love to see just a complete restructure. You, we, we had a conversation recently about a time where you were interacting with this black couple. Um, and it was just you and them, but how things changed when um, one of your fellow colleagues showed up. Can you speak to that? Uh, yes, I was on a call. Um, and, and keep in mind, for the three years I policed, I mean, I was on the black side of town. Um, I was supposed to make it to another side, but they left me on that west side training and just left me there for three years. I never made it to the other side of town. Um, but anyway, so I was there and anyway, I'm on this call and it was a black couple 
I was called out there. The wife, she was so ugly to me. She was so nasty to me. And I tell people, policing, they ask how it is. And I would just kind of say, it's a job where you constantly pay for the sins of other people, you know, mm. because you don't know how somebody else was treated before you got there. And now you show up, you have a good heart, you love God, um, you want to help people, you want to change the world. You don't see all that. All they see is a gun and a bag and you're scum and you're nasty and you're fifth. See, I've heard about me. Someone told me I was on the project. You you ain't even got a high school diploma. I, turned, I got a mask. What? Okay. <laughs> so, you know, constantly just had to have thick skin and not respond to everything. And so she's so ugly to me. I don't know why. And so, you know, I was more for the de-escalation method. That was more me. Um, you're trained to be on their level or higher. Or you can choose to go lower. To bring it down to where you want it to. Okay, I pause. Chose to de-escalate. Okay, so pause. Because I want you to tell the story, but you're saying that you are trained when you're going into situations, when you're responding to a call, you are trained to be at that level or higher. So what you're saying is the emotion, the intensity is supposed to be the same as whoever that civilian you're interacting with or higher. And that is somehow supposed to de-escalate the situation? Yeah, or you can use your intuit. Well, I, said, I gave those two options, but you, you got those three options their level or higher or lower with the intent to bring them down. See what I'm saying? So I chose the approach to try to bring people down because I'm out there for 10 hours. I don't have the energy to be on level 10 all the time. No. So yeah. let me stay on two or three. Um, bring you down to me if I can. Yeah. So I just chose to use my resources. And some of that is taught in the academy. Use your resources. If, if Big Mama's there, you ain't got to get everybody in control. Talk to Big Mama. A big mama, get them all together. You know, just examples like that. Right. But my husband, I saw, was more receptive to me. And I'm just my calm self. And I said, well, could you, what is her name? Would you get her to talk to me? He was he was taking care of stuff for me. So I didn't feel the need to, you know, have my ego out there and check the situation with her. I just used the husband. And he was telling her, baby, the lady is trying to help. Da, 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 da. I did call for backup because she just really being ugly to me, but I really had it under control, but I did have backup on the way because I was by myself. And once the backup came as a male officer, I didn't like how he talked to people. I didn't like how he talked to me. I had to check him a few times, but I don't know who's coming to back me up either. Mm-hmm. So he shows up and <clears throat> the guy was talking to me and his hands was in his pocket. You are trained. Don't let people have their hands in their pocket talking to you. Um, because you don't know what's in their pocket. And that's that's true. Um, but I didn't feel like he was a threat to me because he was helping me and he was talking to me. And, you know, the average citizen, their hands in their pocket. I mean, they don't know. So anyway, so he gets out. I wasn't intimidated by that, by his hands in his pocket, because he was working with me. And the white officer gets out, and immediately he yells at the man. He was like, get your hands out of your pocket. And the guy looked. And he took his hand. He was like, what, what did I, what did, and he just threw his hands. I was like, man, I, and I was like, sir, sir. And I just looked and I said, man, I had it under control. Why did you do that? He didn't get his hands. Out his, uh, and I was like, okay. Okay. Yeah. That makes, that so, makes, I, you've told me this before, but it still makes my blood boil. Cause I just think about how quickly things can turn fatal. Thank God nothing happened in that situation, but it's small things like that. Where as a civilian, we don't know 
what police training is. We don't know that you guys have been taught um, that hands kill people, so always watch hands. We don't know that, right? So as an average person, especially in the presence of a cop, I just want to be cool, calm, and collected. So if that means putting my hands in my pocket, cool. So for that to be the thing... approach, like, sir, could you just take your hands out your pocket real quick? Not get your hands out of your pocket. Learn how to talk to people. And I had to learn to master the, the art of that. I got to the point where I had people thanking me for tickets. Thank you so much, officer. Yeah, just sign right here for me. So, <laughs> but it was all how you talk to someone. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. Explain it to them. When I stopped the car, immediately, I'm going to tell you exactly why I stopped you. You know, it's like, give me your license and registration. See, that's, but see, that goes back to training and culture. Immediately, you go to the car. The reason why I stopped you is because you ran a, um, a stop sign back there. You have your license and your registration on you. So you, I don't even have to go through why you stopped me. We, we, you don't even have to ask that question. Because that's the first thing I put out there to you. You, you follow me? Yeah. So that's where that training and, and people with, with a knowledge base um, going back in there. I know you, know, you may be saying, well, why don't you go back in there? Ah, uh, not in uniform. <laughs> Maybe as, as the consultant, per se, um, to help with the teaching and, and, and the training, because that would help de-escalate stuff. It's, it's bad out here. The tension is bad. I don't know if there's enough money to pay me to go back on the streets right now. Mm-hmm. But it's tough out there. I feel for my brothers and sisters in the blue who are just trying to make a living and take care of their family um, and, and serve their God and be the best person that they can be. It's tough out here. Um, they, there are good cops, but I really think I'm, I'm glad a lot of this is happening in the sense of helping to change some of the culture and the dynamic. And I wish all this will get will get a little bit better. And, and there needs to be efforts to rebuild the trust. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you you have helped me. You and another friend of mine was a cop. You guys helped me a ton because. You know how I am. I'm like, defund them, get them out of here. We don't need y'all. We'll figure it out because y'all don't help us anyways. Like, I, that's me. And I know, and anyway, y'all can say what y'all want to say, but that's how I feel. <laughs> um, but you helped me look at the George Floyd situation a bit differently um, regarding the black cop that was on the scene. It was, of course, we know there were four cops involved in George Floyd's murder. And one of those cops was actually a rookie who I think was on the job for four days tops when the George Floyd murder happened. And of course, social media, we have all, you know, uh, have we bar- the media has tried them, right? They're guilty, get them out of here, right? Like they're terrible murderers. Um, but you shed some light on what possibly could have been going through his mind as a rookie and being on the scene with his trainer, I believe you said. Yeah. Now, I guess I haven't researched it for myself, but I think I heard he was a couple of days on the job. Is that correct? I believe um, so. If that is the case, I don't view him the same way. And I'm going to tell you why. When you're on training, you are taught. I've heard this statement. Your training officer is next to God. Whatever they tell you to do, of course, you know, within reason, um, you do it. And so, I, I mean, I personally give you an example there is that pressure because you're on probation. You can get let go for anything. And here you is just trying to support yourself, support your family. You don't want to lose your job. And this is what I would like to see change. If someone would ask me, what policy would you implement? I would implement um, a number that an officer could text 
Okay. You don't have to call or that. You can text this number if you feel like something um, unethical is going on. Um, they should be able to have that type of liberty, even if you're on training. Because if you rat it out and they get in trouble, they're going to know it's you. And then the culture can turn on you and make it uncomfortable for you. I know stories where that has happened. But um, but if you you don't. Have, so that's not in place right now. OK, so there's that pressure. You don't know your training officer is next to God. And so he didn't know he didn't feel the liberty. If this man is over him and he's ranking over him, he's going to tell a man, stop doing that. Stop doing that. Then all he got to do is go back and report like, hey, he's not teachable. He's not trainable. You need to let him go. And he just lost his job. So he felt that pressure just like, OK, this is what I'm just going to be here. I'm just going to hold him down. Um, he's, you know, kind of nervous. I've been in that type of situation, not that exact type of situation, but I, I will. I'll put it out there. I don't I don't have nothing to lose. <laughs> um, I can remember being on training, riding with the officer who was lazy. I'm not a lazy person. Um, this happened to be a white uh, male officer, and um, we had to show activity for the night. So he said, oh, we got to show activity. And he wrote a bunch of building searches, nighttime building searches out. And um, he was like, huh, turn these in. Huh, you write this out, write this out. And I said, we didn't search these buildings. And he was like, it, it, it doesn't matter. And I was like, oh. I went against my conscience. I filled them out, but I was praying the whole time, like, Lord, please don't let these buildings be broken into. If we sign, because <laughs> if it, you see what I'm saying, that building was broken into, and I don't turn in the slips, they know it was secure at this time. Yeah. There's there's my job. But yeah. this is what my training officer told me to do. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I get that. So, but what if I was in, I had a number that I could text and be like, oh, I don't feel comfortable with doing this. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would like to implement. So I, I understand why that black officer, I don't have to agree with it, but I understood, I understand now why he may have felt like he was in a position where he couldn't do anything. But it's it's a lot of problems with the system. Why is this type of officer in the ranks? Why is he training other people? So mm-hmm. I don't think we need to be so quick to point our finger per se. Them other officers, if they was lower ranking than him, they felt that pressure to comply. And that, and that is I hope just, that makes sense to you. It, it, I, I'm not saying it's right, but yeah, it absolutely makes sense to me. Which for me personally, it just further. Uh, justifies how I feel. <laughs> like get rid of the whole system, destroy it, and let's rebuild. Because it's just, it's, it's just it's, it's trash. It's trash. And I go on record and saying that it's trash. Because because even with the situation with the black lady who now you know social media is trying to you know advocate for her and get her job back, but the one black lady who stood up um, and like um, got onto her fellow her fellow officer for. I guess beating up a guy. I don't want to get the story wrong, y'all, but she, long story short, she stood up and did what was right and lost her job, pension, everything gone. Right. So it's just like the ones who do stand up, the ones who are the light in dark places, it seems that they're always the ones or they are often the ones who get the short end of the stick because they stood up, because they did the right thing. And it's it's unfortunate. So it's like, well, how much light is it going to take for this darkness? How about we just, Throw away the darkness and rebuild. And of course, let I don't, the light shine from the top down. The light needs to yeah. shine from the top down. Yeah, that's really yeah the only way it's going to really change when it's shining from the bottom up. 
you know, if it shines too far up and exposed that, you, you follow me? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I get it that. It really needs to shine from the top, top down. I get that. And I appreciate you shedding light on that because it gives me a little bit of a different perspective in regards to these folks who are on the street, like their power is limited. Their authority is limited. I understand that. Like you said, I don't agree with it, but I understand it when it comes to protecting a citizen versus protecting my family and their food on the table and their clothes on their backs. Like I understand that. No, I don't agree with it, but I understand it as a human, as a person who has bills to pay and a house to keep like I, I get that right so I appreciate you breaking that down um and hopefully we can empathize a little bit more but also still um fight and advocate for a system that is for all of us and not what we see now because this is this is for the birds <laughs> Yeah. So what so so what led you to quit the force to to end it? Like what what was your final straw that you were like, yo, I'm I'm done, fam? Oh, I I patiently waited for another opportunity um where it it at least required a degree. Um so I was I waited I was applying with the state to be a parole officer and as soon as the opportunity opened, um I ran through the doors. Um Gladly. I did my exit interviews and it was interesting because they wanted to interview me. Um, it, I was doing more interviews than I should. People was telling this captain, you need to talk to her before she leaves because I, I let it all hang out. I told it all. I did. <laughs> um, you know, what I didn't feel comfortable telling before, I told it all. And they was asking me, how was this supervisor? I was like, he nasty. He rude. He'll not talk to you. Blah, blah, blah. What about the? I put it all out there. You hear me? <laughs> I, I didn't hold back. I'm like, I am free. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, you know, it was um, even when you was off duty, you was on duty. So it, it constantly regulated my life. Of course, I was single then. Um, it, it regulated everything about me, my my, my love life, um, all of that. I remember a dude asked me for uh, my number one time on duty. And I had to say, I'm not going to give out my number on duty. I get yours. And so <laughs> I was so used to doing People won't be like, I got this police phone number. No, 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 no. So anyway, um, he was like, can, can I just say this to you, ma'am? Can I say this to you? And I was like, sure. You are a beautiful black lady. I said, why, thank you. He was like, can I, can I get your number? And I was like, how about I get yours? And before I knew it, just out of memory, motion, and unconscious thinking, I had a motion. I remember my, um, my pocket was right here on my chest, and I would do this motion, take my pen out, do this, and write on my tablet. And so I said, um, before I knew it, unconsciously, I said, what's your name and date of birth? <laughs> and he looked at me like, uh, nah, fam. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry. I meant, what's your name and your phone number? And he was like, no. Nah. <laughs> I was like, man, I did that? Really? Um, so it was interesting. It, you know, I can remember eating lunch at uh, the city function with a guy. And the guy, he said, well, hmm. he was just talking. He said, what do you do? And I was like, I'm a police officer. You know, he said, oh, okay. He got his plate and he moved right on to the next table. And I was like, dang. Hey, man, it was something. So it was cool. Um, but it just affected everything about you. My, I mean, my hair. I couldn't um, dye my hair. Um, I couldn't get braids if I wanted to. It was just a lot in the policy. Couldn't have nail polish. Just nothing. And maybe it wasn't even something I necessarily would have did, but because I couldn't do it, I wanted to do it. So as soon as I left, man, I've got highlights in my hair. Uh, 
what I couldn't do, I did it. I just felt so free. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? I get that. So, I get that. The party and everything. Um, and so I felt like, you know, as the parole officer, I liked that much better um, because I, I got to see the other side. A lot of times I lock people up. I don't know what happened to them. I arrested so many people. I don't, I don't know. I arrested so many people. I can remember going to church one time. Um, you know, if I ain't put that out there, I was a minister on the streets. I'm a pastor now. Um, but with that being said, you know, I'm active in my church and the sister came to the church. And I was like, praise the Lord, sister. So good to have you here. And the girl looks at me. She says, you remember me? And I was like, mm-hmm. and she was like, you arrested me. <laughs> I just got quiet. I didn't know what to say. And so I was like, um, praise the Lord, sister. You're in the right place now. You know, it was a little uncomfortable, you know, um, that was interesting. And I remember one time being faced with, um, they wanted me to work undercover one time. And so my Sarge called me, it was a, um, a female. And she says, hey, uh, Thomas, I need you to work undercover as a prostitute and all this. And I was like, sure, Sarge. Yeah, <laughs> because you know me, that is okay, right? And so I went along with it. And I was like, sure, Sarge. She was like, yeah, you know, prostitutes on this side, don't don't be too dressy and all this. And they know you, out. so she gave me the whole scoop. And I was like, sure, Sarge, yeah, I'm going to do it. And I got off the phone, my little thoughts and my convictions started to say, I said, whoa, a pro- what am I going to be saying to these people? Oh, God. <laughs> it took me about 15 minutes and I had to gather up my nerve and I had to call my sergeant back. And I said, um, Sarge, I, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to uh, do that. And my con- she said, it's okay. It's okay. I'll get someone else to do it. <laughs> It was so it was a weird position all the time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. What I'm saying for me, there was a lot of internal conflict going on. And so, but watch this. So a friend of mine, she ended up doing the prostitute. So I was actually the pickup person, and she would give the code whenever they committed to offering the money for the sex, and I would go and round them up. I felt more comfortable doing that rather than saying whatever I had to say to get the money. You follow me? Could you mm-hmm. imagine me doing that? And, and then here was the other conflict. If I would have did that. You follow me? If I would have did that, I arrested them and I'd have got them to commit. Now I'm at my church and they come to the altar and it's like, I re- you, was a, you was the prostitute. And I would have been like, I was working. What was you doing? See, I couldn't even. <laughs> that oh, is oh. hilarious. Like, it's funny because I know you and to visualize that is the funniest thing ever. <laughs> I don't believe I agree to it. Yes, yeah, Lord, sure. That I, is, I, I think you're the prostitute, not the minister. <laughs> I was thinking like, I could, but it's my work. I could justify it. But deep down, I was like, nah, I'm going to do something else. That's hilarious. Well, I'm happy that you are uh, in a space now where you're not having to constantly go against what you feel internally and go against um, your ultimate purpose and call. Uh, you out here, you know what I'm saying, doing what you do well, and that is pastoring and, and uh, uh, on some entrepreneurship type stuff and uh, spreading your Black girl magic all around the world. Like, I love it. <laughs> That's funny. I have one more question, though, uh, before we get to brownie points. Uh, what would you share with Black folks that would um, that you think could help us in seeing things from a bigger picture, seeing things from a from a more proper perspective in regards to all that's going on, or any thoughts you would want to share from a former law enforcement perspective, what would you want us to know? 
I think I will I will want you to know, keep in mind, um, you know, it's it's more good out there than there is bad. I promise you. But the bad is the ones that get spot like it is, you know, and, and I guess we can correlate that in a lot of different areas, like the media show, black people in a bad light, but that's not everyone. And so, you know, I understand the tension and stuff like that is high, but try to be cool, calm and collective and um and and Take away excuses, you know what I'm saying? Try not to be com- combative. And I know you can argue me and say, but but these people were complying and all this, but please go on a way to not be com- combative to lend excuse for things further escalating. Because just how you are tense, they're tense too. You follow me? And so try for us to all to to be understanding of each side because they have a family that they want to go back to so don't automatically conclude that they're dumb and that they're scum of the of the earth um you have some of them who probably more i would say 70 percent um who are in it for for the right reasons or just to gainfully support themselves and support their family so we could have a little bit more understanding on both both sides i think we can get through this a little bit a little bit better that makes sense amen amen well all right um this was an interesting conversation because yeah like i yeah (laughs) and keep in mind like i wasn't that gung-ho person to be like yeah i'm I'm gonna go get them and i shared this one example and um we'll wrap up when you want to but I can remember I went to a call and it was a um, black young female. I think she was 14. And a lot of stuff um, stands out to me over the years. And this goes back to the police being called. Um, it wasn't a police issue. I got back in service from the call. She was, it was a family type of issue. They called the police. And like I said, she's 14. And I could tell there was issues going on in the house, but it was nothing criminal at that point. She's being disrespectful, the adults in the house is like, oh, she don't listen, da 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 da. So I got back in service. You know, I cleared myself from the call. I just talked to her and I left. And um, before I can get out the driveway, I'm called right back out. And they said, you know, the female, ha- she has a knife. I called the police, she has a knife. Well, what in the world? I go back in the house and she's standing with a knife raised above her head. And I looked, I said, baby girl, drop the knife. And uh, she just looked at me and she put that knife on the back. And I said, baby girl, drop the knife. Drop it now. And um, she didn't. And my heart sunk. And so, I mean, that, that is a lethal weapon. So I had to reach for my gun. My heart was dropping. Because deep down, I knew this girl. Her, her desire, she wasn't trying to hurt me. Now, um, but had another officer showed up that was just gung-ho. What if, if I would have pulled the trigger, um, I probably could have been justified in doing it. Yeah. I, I told you a couple of times to drop that knife and you have it facing towards me. I reached for my gun slow. I asked the woman, I said, baby, girl, please drop that knife. Eventually she put it down. Um, I talked to her, you know, and um, that was that. I don't know. I, I think I took that knife from her and I left. Um, but I remember thinking like, Thank God it was me that showed up. Yeah. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? I, I really didn't want that on my conscience the whole time. Like I shot a 14 year old 
Well, she did have a weapon pointing at me, but the totality of the circumstances, that's what we're taught in law enforcement. That terminology is used a whole lot, the totality of the circumstances. So the totality of the circumstances are disturb you. She's crying out for attention. They won't give it to her in the house, so she picks up a knife. But because I didn't go in there threatening to her, eventually I was able to talk her down. So a lot of that needs to be talked about. But on the flip side of things, you know, you don't want to, officers trained, do you want to wait and see what's going to happen? So it's, listen, it's a professional where you got to make split decisions. You know, you can look and evaluate everything I've done and have weeks and months to do that. But I had to make a decision in seconds. Yeah. Sometimes, you understand what I'm saying? Um, Have I ever been scared? One time, one time in particular, um, Brittany, I I was out on a country highway outside of Montgomery trying to go in and I pulled over a car for some traffic violation. But for some reason, fear came all over me. It was so dark out there. I don't know. This is the only time I've had this feeling. And I just remember praying and I walked up to the car. It it was like I, I saw a picture of myself of him just kind of reaching out and shooting me. And I did, but it's dark. He couldn't see. I had my hand on my gun. I went to the car, I asked for his life, and he gave it to me. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. But I remember having that that mm-hmm. glimpse before me. And so, point is, you know, sometimes an officer can be nervous too, for whatever reason. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's a lot that goes on that I don't yeah. think you would know or see if you've never been involved in or never did a ride yeah. along as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, that is awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your experience. Um, I really appreciate it. And hopefully, hopefully my listeners um, go away with um, their perspective being challenged and hopefully um, learn something new. So let's get into brownie points. Uh, Amanda, share with us uh, something that you've done today or recently that you are proud of. Love on yourself a bit and give yourself some brownie points. Share with us what it is. I, I am proud of the fact that, you know, I was able to protect and serve like that. And I made it through on the other side of it, um, you know, without hurt, scratch or bruise. Um, and I didn't have to do it to no one else. Amen. I'm giving myself brownie points for participating in a three-day challenge called Find Your Voice with Pastor Fernika Fran from All Nations Atlanta. Uh, she held it virtually this past week and it was phenomenal and it was exactly what I needed. And she, I, I don't know what I was expecting, but it was like, it was called three day, three day find your voice challenge. It ended up being like a three day freaking virtual mental health retreat or like a deliverance retreat. It was like all the things. And I was like, ma'am, I was not ready to unpack in this way and to like peel back the the onion in this way. Like she was having us go deep, um, but it was so much of what I needed in this space that I'm in. And I appreciate that. And I'm I'm giving myself brownie points for completing the challenge because that was hard work. She gave us homework every night and stuff. <laughs> so it was like, it was, it was really, really, really good. So yeah, that's what I'm giving myself brownie points. Uh, Give yourself brownie points uh, for something and then go share with me on Instagram and Facebook at Shades of Brown Podcast and search for the brownie points post and comment on that post and share with me what you're giving yourself brownie points for. I don't know what you've done or what you haven't done, but I do know that you have done something recently which you should um, pat yourself on the back for, that you should love on yourself for and congratulate yourself. Thank you all so much for listening. LaManda, uh, thank you so much for 
for joining me with for this conversation. It's been phenomenal. Um, and I look forward to uh, chatting with you some more. And uh, thank you for being a light in this very, very, very dark world. Well, that episode is a wrap. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode. I hope that you were challenged just like I was to be a little bit more empathetic um, towards either side. I can only imagine what it is like to be both black and blue to commit to a job with the purest of intentions, um, yet be in a culture that doesn't allow your light to shine as bright as you may want it to shine. It's tough. So thank you so much, Dr. Lamanda, for challenging us all and for taking us through your journey as not only a black officer, but a black female officer. So I appreciate your transparency and your story. And I hope all of you guys enjoyed the conversation just as much as I did. Please now go find me on Instagram and Facebook at Shades of Brown Podcast and like, share, rate, subscribe, comment, engage with me, do all the things (laughs) y'all. And black folks, please remember you are enough. Your creation is so divine and I love me some you. Until the next episode, be healthy, be whole, be healed. Mm